This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Food and Loathing, coming to you from the only city in the world where a job that includes chemical burns to the skin and face, a collapsing <laughs> muck bin, what the hell? allegedly, would ever be known as boring. <laughs> I'm talking, of course, about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada in the age of Elon Musk. Oh, God. <laughs> but hey, man, at least we have a place for people to drive his Teslas underground in the smallest subterranean transit system I've ever encountered. Right. <laughs> I hear they're actually quite nice. Thanks they to are. all those workers braving chemical burns, collapsing muck, and fears of being crushed alive. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be great when it's done sometime no, it's after not. I'm it's going to suck ass. I've only ridden it once. Um, it was fine. It was after last year's fancy food show. It yeah. wasn't very busy. It was like the last night. Um, but, you know, it, there's something a bit creepy about it. Okay, look, <laughs> faith fact. Elon Musk sold Las Vegas a bill of fucking goods. He was going to do this hyperlink. I'm sure he got tons of money from oh, either of course private he did. people or the government or whoever the fuck gives him money when he needs to go batshit crazy and remember he sold this it was going to be this crazy loop yeah. like you were going to be able to get from San Francisco to LA in 30 minutes <laughs> that didn't fucking great self-contained transit system and Vegas was going to be where we developed That's it because right. God knows we needed a fucking subway uh. system and people endured chemical burns and they were allegedly, allegedly. Uh, worried about collapsing <laughs> and what do we have to show for this a fucking little underground tunnel <laughs> where you can get in a Tesla and it'll take you three blocks underground right. Exactly. I mean, what a fucking bait and switch if ever there was one. It makes the monorail look like the world's most brilliant fucking public transportation system decision. It's got to start somewhere, and it started, and it's going to expand. They're going to have another thing by the end of March. Somebody owns Tesla stuck. Uh, no, no, not at all. The main thing, they got to build the, the vehicles for it. You can't just have three people in a car and a driver. But that's no, that's insane. Yeah. No, they're going to have like these eight to 12 person yeah, vehicles going that to. fit in that spot. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Little, mm -hmm. little mini and shuttle Tesla we'll things. We'll see. Yeah, and <laughs> but that, you, you at least are not still buying the bullshit that it's going to be a hyperlink that'll oh, get God, us. Oh, no, no, that's not happening. Like, no. like, <laughs> original line of bullshit, you no, no, have no, already no. given up on. No, no, I'm <laughs> just trying to grasp for straws of non-bullshit in, in this giant yeah. dog turd side, as a fucking... <laughs> side note to listeners, I wish you could see Al right now. He yeah. is very, very animated. I mean, <laughs> I don't really care. It's just, I mean, look, he's the richest guy in the world. I know. It's all just a bunch of fucking scams. It's, it's We're about to achieve He's hair. He's the P.T. Barnum of fucking... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. We're about to achieve hair face uh, color synergy with uh, Al. Right. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I don't know, man. I've just been reading that. Oh. And this has All nothing right. to do with our damn podcast. Oh, yeah, I love that. to get us off the track. Um, yeah, luckily for us, this is not a podcast about urban planning or public transportation <laughs> or insane spoiled brat billionaires, although the latter tend to be pretty plentiful in this city. <laughs> and we love them. 
Come and spend your money here, please. That's right, please. We're here to talk food, mostly restaurant food, but there are no rules. If you put it in your mouth and swallow it, it's fair game. (laughs) Yeah, he said that. (laughs) Leading this journey, we have a pair of local food writers and a fast food addicted engineer. I'm Al Mancini, a 20 plus year veteran Las Vegas food writer and the creator of the online dining guide Neon Feast, which features restaurant recommendations from chefs, restaurateurs, journalists, critics, and influencers that I trust. And I offer no politics or opinion. Opinions on billionaires <laughs> on there. So it's, it's, it's a politics free yeah. zone. That's right. My partner in crime for this little endeavor is Gemini Stevens, the creator of the Wishbone and Vine food blog and one of the leaders of the Please Send Noodles cookbook inspired home cooking club, which you can find on Facebook if you search Please Send Noodles mm-hmm. and add three exclamation points. That's at the right. End. All of them. <laughs> and then making a bittersweet final live appearance with oh. us as he prepares Aww. for a move to Chicago to get back to his old career of re- reporting serious news for serious people. <laughs> a man who has been very unserious with us at this podcast. Well, he's been serious. He's endured I was going to say. At this podcast <laughs> since day one and has engineered nearly every single one of them, whether he's been here in person or not. The one and only Rich Johnson. Rich, man, I am so happy that you're doing something more important than what you you do here with me again. I, you know, I may come run screaming back to Vegas after a couple of uh, conventions and a couple more primaries, but <laughs> nice to know I have a safety net. Or, right? Yeah. Or do I now that I'm training? If you, you ever need my yeah, opinion on do. politics, I'll be, I'll be your guy in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Right? Give me yeah. a call. I, no, but so you have a good gig. Um, we're going to talk about that at the yeah, end yeah. of the show. But when we uh, obviously, I, I said this at our dinner, we had a, a group dinner yep. the other night. And, um, you know, Rich, you have been here from day one. And honestly, this podcast would not exist without you in many ways. It would not exist without you um, because you have just physically done a hell of a, most of the hard work for every episode. <laughs> um, but also, you know, you were coming and trying to convince me to do a podcast like long, a long before time ago. we ever yeah. did this. Yeah. And um, it uh, obviously Jason Harris was very instrumental in getting this off the ground. But the inspiration was you uh, from the very beginning. This podcast would not exist without you. Aww. You contributed a yeah. hell of a lot to it, man. So I'm always happy to see you doing great things. Um, I originally nope. plied you with pierogies. At the, uh, <laughs> the Polish place. Food uh, always works. Yeah, uh, yeah. The first meeting was actually in Partage. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you went from so, Partage to pierogies? Per- partage to pierogies, <laughs> man. You know, I love alliteration. I'm I love it. It's going to be the title of my memoir. <laughs> um, okay. So, where are we? This is printed on two yeah, sides. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, two sides. I don't what know have we been paper. eating? Uh, look, you know, we always start the show off discussing the places in which the three of us have been dining over the preceding week. And Rich, since we now know what your future holds, let's venture <laughs> well, back into your recent past. I thought I would try to get to a couple of places for like a last meal, but you know, I'm coming back in a few years. Yeah, I mean, they're not executing. And you're no, going to no. be visiting. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you to work in a boring oh, tunnel yeah. where we don't know if we'll ever see you again. But, so in that spirit, I went to someplace brand new called Sicilian Guys Pizza. It's uh, over in my little shopping center at Rampart and uh, Lake Mead. Oh, okay. Uh, it's way in the corner by the, the cracked egg or the eggs on uh, yep. or the yolks on you, whatever the hell the, that particular punny name is. I've only been there like once. And these guys, it's a small place. They put in like eight or nine seats, okay. like three tables, but mostly it's a, it's for takeout. And for such a small place, the menu is like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh my God. Like an old Jersey diner. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they got Chicago pizza, arancini, calzones, regular pizzas, uh, meatball sandwiches, Italian beef sandwiches. I had... Uh, a, an Italian sandwich that was two or three kinds of meat and, and uh, nice uh, 
arugula, rocket, that kind yeah. of thing in there. Mm-hmm. And, and it was very good and, and looked like some, some bread that was made in-house. So Sicilian guys, I have not tried the pizza. I'm waiting till Chicago until I have a Chicago <laughs> And don't tell me about, oh, it's not pizza. I don't care what you Are call you it. Are you a cracker casserole? crust or a, um, a deep dish Chicago guy? I will try both, but I'm, I I like deep dish. I yeah. do too, man. I've cracker crust pisses me off. No, no. <laughs> No, I don't need that. That's Elon Musk's pizza. Yeah. Uh, one last pilgrimage. I don't know to... what the fuck I'm even saying. I really I don't. don't. Know. I'm not even hot. It's gonna be that kind of day. I love yeah. it. One of those 5 a.m. trips to Randy's Donuts for all of two plain cake donuts and a coffee. Even the one at um, Resorts World or the one in the Burbs? Uh, the one at Resorts. Well, not Resorts World. No, the one uh, in on Charleston. Okay, West Charleston. Randy's is in Resorts World, right? Am I hot? Yeah, yeah, they okay. are. No. <laughs> I'm really not. I, I boycott them. Mood. I boycott that one because they don't have plain cake. At the rent, at the one there. I mean, they make them someplace else and bring it in and mm-hmm. put a few on the truck. And, uh, well, maybe they just sell out so maybe quickly so. because they're so popular. So. They are the best selling. Plain cake. I would be surprised that they don't offer them at all because I was told by the owner at the opening that for all of this crazy shit we do, our plain donuts, I think, or it might have been yeah. the plain glazed donuts. I don't know. Maybe, but anyway, yeah. the plain donuts are the ones that sell but they're best. They're outstanding. So. Yeah. Why? Uh, Costco for a Costco dog for a buck and a half. Not like I can't find a Costco in Chicago. Right. Mm-hmm. Still. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. There's something about just going down yeah. the street from your house. and Most of the time, though, I've been working off the freezer stuff that all yeah. you know, the meats that won't get eaten when I'm gone. I had a rack of lamb that I did in the, you know with a nice traditional rosemary, garlic, pepper, oil, rub, rosemary from the garden. Nice. That was cool. pretty nice. Uh, the chicken soup that I made by a, a gallon or two of, of month. Oh, yeah. Still <laughs> just <laughs> eating his leftovers. Right, just going yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> some homemade you know, breakfast sandwiches because I had some bagels in the freezer and I got all these eggs and I got some sausage. You know, Farmer yeah. John. I won't be getting Farmer John in Chicago. <laughs> Not that it makes a big difference. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's my eating for the week. All right. I want to hear about the Chicago subway system when you get there. Yeah. Oh, I love the L. I've never ridden on public transportation in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, I've taken the L a couple of times. Yeah. It was good. Cool. Not just a Tesla, right? No. (laughs) No. Yeah, real real transportation No, no, man. It would be like a Dodge Aries from the 70s going up uh, lower whacker. I picture the Bluesmobile. Yeah, right. (laughs) Retired cop car in a tunnel underground. Driven by a guy named Carl Walarski. <laughs> Gemini, where have you been eating, my friend? Anything delicious? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, everybody knows I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. I am home for a little while, which feels really, really good. Um, so, but we did have some sushi the other night. Um, I've been trying to go to new places when I when I have a craving for sushi. So, I went to Sushi Tower and Steakhouse. Um, I was playing with my phone and John was driving, so I'd have to look up where it is. Um, I, it's really close. <laughs> where? What part of town? <laughs> it's, in our, it's on our north, Summerlin little Summerlinish area. area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of no rice options, which I loved um, because I just don't like filling up on the rice. I just, you know, don't do the carb thing very well as much as I've been eating too much of them lately. Um, but lots of fresh salmon, avocado, veggies, things like that. We did try the gyoza and the tempura, which were perfectly cooked. The gyoza seemed like they were steamed, and then that got that little crispy on one side, which I enjoy. Um, their soft shell crab was delicious, super light. 
barely needed a, a little coating on it. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, got soft shell crab twice because one of the things we had was something called an alien egg. Now, is that like a thousand year egg kind of deal? <laughs> right. Have, I, was, had I was like, what am eggs, I getting right? into? Um, yeah, actually, I've tasted it, that before. Um, not a fan. No. Um, <laughs> but is that it? Like a heavy fermented egg? No, no. In this case, it was actually more soft shell crab, but like <laughs> chopped up into a mix, stuffed into an avocado. Um, along with some like um, spicy crab mix and some sauces and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and then served on like a salad kind of thing. So the the avocado makes it look like a little egg. Yeah, and you break into it, and, and then you break this into alien. it. Yeah, so there's a mix of like I got spicy and um, uh, soft shell crab in there, and. I know it a chef who made like... a, a dish called Godzilla out of um, soft shell crabs. So oh, it looked like Godzilla fun. attacking Tokyo. That's in New Orleans. That okay, cool. Used to do that, yeah, at um, Giacomo's. So, so what I'm saying is, soft shell crabs do resemble monsters. Yes. Whoa. Put them in an egg. Godzilla has monster lawyers, by the way. I remember a restraining order at some place in New York that called itself Godzilla Pizza. Yeah. Where those people have just stamped on them. Like Godzilla <laughs> would stomp on on half the population of Tokyo. <laughs> That's you Warner. can't call it that anymore. Warner owns that property, right? I don't I know. think so. I think no. so. All the movies are on. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, did you figure out where that place was? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's about Flamingo and 215-ish. Okay, um, cool. Just a little bit south of here. So Why do they call it Tower? Does the sushi come t in a tower? <laughs> no, I didn't see any towers. Tower I didn't like see any like, yeah, no, nothing like that. No? <laughs> you can call it Sushi Strip Mall. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> sushi Strip Mall. Strip mall and steak <laughs> um, And then, like I said, we traveled again this weekend. Uh, so we just did Can I just ask? I'm sorry. Please, Just a little bit more. When they call it Sushi Tower, Steakhouse, then and perhaps you said this, and I was just babbling over top of you <laughs> like an asshole, and I missed it. But is it also a um, a teppanyaki restaurant? Um, I did not see teppanyaki. We sat at a bar, so I wasn't really right. paying that much attention. Okay. Um, but they did have quite a bit of um steak options and things like that. But I was just really focused on the fish and on stuff like sushi, that. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there. Yeah. Um, we traveled again this weekend, so um, we did some cooking when we got home. Uh, John did a really great penne arrabbiata like took his time with the sauce all kinds of fresh herbs and things like that um so uh and we i hadn't shopped there in a while but we hit up whole foods for the grocery options to do this one on the fly and i was not disappointed like the, the few times before i'd shopped at whole foods i'll admit i was kind of like eh, okay i can go to smith's and get better like what's yeah. happening since amazon took it over kind of thing but um they had really great options on the and right side elon musk is not running it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> small favors thank you very much i love it i love it so yeah hopefully i'll have more to report next week so uh, i'm not going anywhere for a little while okay cool <laughs> how um, about you what about me uh, not a lot of things, not a lot of places, but a lot to say about them. So let's okay. kick things off with the way I spent the weekend, which was repeated visits to the Strip's newest attraction, the Fountain Blue. There you go. Or however you're supposed to pronounce it, but I Fountain call it Blue. Fountain that Blue. That is correct. Yeah, that's what I call it. Yep. I was in and out of there several times because I was invited in for a Friday night dinner at China Club and a Saturday lunch at Washing Potato. What a name. Yeah, Washing yeah. Potato. <laughs> Uh, both of these restaurants were developed by Alan Yao, the man behind the UK chain Wagamama and the international Hakkasan chain. And um, both of the restaurants, extremely impressive, yeah? man. Uh, let's start with China Club. Spelled with a Y, by the way, China. Um, it's a mid-sized restaurant. I believe it seats about 140 to 150 all in. It's divided into several smaller areas. Now, this is a very upscale restaurant, right? And you walk past a semi-enclosed patio area, which kind of has a beachy 
vibe as you walk in. Okay. Inside, you have several rooms, I would say. Um, there's this lush library that had a very library kind of feel, yeah. real books on the wall, that kind of stuff. A uh, main formal dining room, uh, modern bar area, two private dining rooms. Wow. I'm, I'm missing a couple, I think, areas too. Uh, they're all within views of each other, so it's not this strictly compartmentalized feel that uh, you get at like a Hakkasan. I was just going to ask. You know, where you feel like you're the rat in the maze. <laughs> yeah. Like you know that the other rooms are out there and the it's out there, yep. but you really can't see the maze. <laughs> here, you can kind of see the maze, right? Searching for that cheese. So, yeah, you can see the cheese everywhere here, man. And it's not cheesy, though. Not in any no. way. It's great. Really, really love the place. They all have these distinct vibes. Uh, the two different... Uh, what, what am I thinking? Um, yeah, basically, the decor and the tone change, drastic, change drastically from section to section. You've got the more traditional Chinese places. Some have very um, heavy European colonial feel, okay. particularly the French theme. One of the, there are two PDRs, um, but the one private dining room is a French-themed, very classic, Fun. right? Um, the menu is a little hard to read, not just because I have crap eyesight at this age, <laughs> but also, um, yeah, that doesn't help, though. Um, there are a ton of items on this big one-page menu with the names of listed in very small print in both English and then Chinese. Oh my gosh. And as you'd expect, Peking duck tops the menu, um, but there are plenty of small bites, dim sum, soups, and seafood, chicken, and beef entrees. This is very high-end Chinese restaurant. I would say its competitors are likely going to be like the Wing Lays, the Mop 32s, Red Plate, places like that. Those are restaurants that I don't regularly visit because when I spend the kind of dough that those places command, I'm usually looking for a lot of creativity in the dishes. Yeah. And high-end Cantonese and high-end Chinese restaurants tend to value a tradition and um, yeah. an authenticity here in Las Vegas. So you don't get a lot of experimental right. dishes usually, right? And and that's great. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing it wrong has with a that. Place. But um, you know, if I'm laying out that kind of dough, like I just don't want $125 or more, depending on where you're going. Yeah. Right, like that's not right. that's not to me a hundred and twenty five dollar meal is a Peking duck. I know it's better than the cheap Peking duck, sure. but it's just not where I want to throw that kind of dough. This place I liked though because the meal that assembled they assembled for me. We didn't do any ordering. Okay, uh, it was really diverse. My first course was very traditional, rustic, rich. They did the Peking duck carved table oh, side, and it was excellent. I'm not complaining about it at all. It was a wonderful dish. Then they had a huge rack of Iberico pork ribs, Ooh. smoked with jasmine tea. Carved table side, coated with a kind of sticky sauce. Yeah. Right? Um, and they were sloppy, hearty, delicious. I loved them. Both of those dishes I together love assembling. Almost anything. Oh my God. Yeah, so fucking good. And, you know, they're, they're messing up. You need a towel to wipe your hands on. It's that <laughs> kind of deal, right? So, again, not the exact same vibe that you feel like you're getting at a wing layer or a Mot 32, right? Yeah. Even though you're in this gorgeous room. But then. They turned the tables on me, and they brought out the second course. Second course, total about um, about face, fork tender black cod in a light champagne and honey sauce. Oh, oh, wow. And then a completely brilliant sea urchin carbonara with light oh. thin noodles, crispy strips of guanciale, uh, very upscale. Both of those dishes, smart, complex flavors and textures. D- um, Delicately balanced between all this stuff. I'm so making a uh, reservation. <laughs> really, really loved it. Oh, and I didn't even write this in my notes, but um, snow pea pods or, or snow peas actually yeah. greens, snow pea greens sauteed in garlic as a side Yum. dish. That was just such a fucking good dish of greens, oh. man. Might have been my favorite dish. I took it home, got stoned, ate it all night. Like <laughs> eating like greens, just the greens. Has to be. Yeah, it, it was so fucking good. I loved it. Um, but the way that those two went back to back, yeah, those two different moods. 
foods. That to me really sets this place a, a little bit apart. Yeah. Um, so this it's kind of a something for everyone. So my waiter also outstanding, absolutely outstanding. And um, he's cousins with Maynard Keenan. So we talked about oh, that a little bit yeah. too, about the tool show. Um, the next day, washing potato is very cool, hip, dim sum kind of joint. Okay. Long dining room, open kitchens on both or on two of the sides of this long dining room. So almost L-shaped open kitchen. Okay. Sleek, modern design, DJ booth, concert lighting. Seriously, like if you look up into the rafters <laughs> and, and I put like on those picture, big black uh, um, metal things. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. On those, those catwalky kind of things. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, they just shoot beams of light into the sky. I mean, just very, you know, and we were there early because, you know, I'm old and pathetic and I don't do the <laughs> things near the early bird. I like I early bird. To. Yeah. But, so, uh, but I'm told that it doesn't get too loud at night. Okay. Right? That it's still, it's, it's very chic, very modern, very, you know, hipster, very cool, but yeah. that you are always going to be able to hear yourself think they promised me. So that's cool. Um, oh, and also the menu uh -huh. like for a place that's this nice, like you wouldn't expect it, but the menu has pictures of everything, oh, wow. all the dumplings, oh, and my. you can point to them. Um, but but nicer, didn't look like you know your local joint, <laughs> strip ball, strip yeah. ball Chinese, <laughs> yeah, definitely not that, but really, really cool. So, uh, you know, we did assorted dumplings, um, we did another take on the crispy duck with those pancakes, the oh, same yeah, way you would do the Peking duck, but this was just like a kind of um, a thigh and leg, yeah, and it was super crispy and she she carved it for his table side but it was more shredded meat as she ripped that oh, apart okay. right so it wasn't the carved yeah. it was more of a shredded and but we still made it just like we made it with the Peking duck yep. next door the night before i actually liked this one better yeah i really did and more affordable too so um <laughs> Dug that. Um, what else did we have? I, they didn't have the venison puffs that were on mm. the menu. I was a little sad about that, but she did bring me out some kettle corn ice cream that was off the menu oh, to hello. make up for that. So that was fucking good. It was, imagine an ice cream flavor. If I were going to say the flavor, I wouldn't say kettle corn. I would say the flavor profile of this was movie theater fake butter. Whoa, oh, yeah. yeah. Motor oil, baby. Oh, yeah. Hello, motor oil. It's so good, man. Dirty weight. Um, and I'm sure it was high. I'm sure it was healthier than that stuff yeah. is, but that right. was what it brought to mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good thing. Man. I have to say, I've not found that for many years now in theaters. And I always ask, is that real butter? And, and real butter. I think they finally got the memo of people saying, I don't want that shit. That's weird because I, yeah, all I the that years shit. that I went to Show West <laughs> and covered the movie um, yeah. thing, they were always the guys selling the oh. oils. Oh. Pitch it's, you those know, it's oils like a few a molecules away from plastic, but it's so oh, good. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and the markup must be insane for those oh, guys. Yeah. That's what they advertise. I haven't found it in a long time. Another dish I had here, you know, sometimes you go to a, um, usually the Pan-Asian or the Chinese restaurants in a casino, or there, there's a dish you'll get that's basically crispy shrimp and it's slathered in mayo. Yeah. Which I, I, yeah, I hate mayo, like honey right? walnut shrimp yeah, kind honey of thing. Walnut yeah, shrimp, yeah, yeah, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. So they did take on that, but it was a wasabi mayo. Ooh. And a lot lighter okay. than it usually is. Mm. And so for a dish that I don't generally like, yeah. the mayo on this one was um, a lot lighter. And, it, and then it had that that really bite of the wasabi to cut Ooh. through it. So I didn't feel like I was eating the slop. Oh, I that like is. that. I, I'm not an aioli. I'm not a mayo yeah. guy. I don't like yeah. all that slathered with. I don't know. mind it. I just don't want it to be so heavy handed. Yeah. And this, this was not. So I really dug that. So check that out. Um, yeah, this place definitely, you know, really young, hip, cool vibe. And okay. yet I was still able to get in and I, I like it a lot. While I was at Fountain Blue, which I just love that place, by the way. The whole hotel, grand scale. Nobody's doing grand things on a grand scale like that yeah. in Vegas right now. If you hear all the stories about the shit show and management and then the, the, the whole nacho thing and all that, 
put it aside and go enjoy yeah, the Yeah, just space. walk around. I, oh, I yeah. really enjoy it. I mean, yeah, who knows what's yeah, what's going on behind the scenes? I got no idea. And if you might, you know, it's just I love the way that it feels. Nobody does some things that just feel like so overwhelmingly yeah. big anymore, you know? So uh, I'm a huge fan. And then we've spoken about, but I think I may be the first one to have visited the Collins Bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Buy it, yeah. And I like it. It's right off the main lobby, right off the hotel lobby, and it's one of those kind of round bars in the on the casino floor that you're you're surrounded almost on all sides by casino, but you don't know because there's like curtains and yeah. stuff around it, so you feel like you're enclosed okay. in this round area. Very elegant. It reminds me of um, Overlook Lounge in uh, Wynn, yeah, which is it's kind of that same way. And it has a piano in there, and it has really posh artwork and sculptures, very much like Overlook Lounge does. Um, we got, I just did a, a Coke. I didn't do anything fun. Um, Sue got a $19 old fashioned with their house bourbon. They use Old Forester 100. Um, that's not I, bad. I, it's not bad. I, we would usually ask for probably, she would usually ask for something maybe a little higher into that. But yeah. at $19, pretty good price for the strip. An yeah. elegant bar, really posh. Um, the house specialty cocktails between 19 and 21 bucks. Pretty okay. good pricing for the strip. Um, yeah, and I like the room. I like the room a lot. What else we got? I spent two days at Creekstone Farms Cure Camp at Green Valley Ranch, along with some of Las Vegas' top chefs. I saw an aging seminar, a presentation about prosciutto de parmo and some other cool stuff. Hung out with um, Corey from Carson Kitchen and Sam from Sam Marvin from Echo and Rig and um, all kinds of chefs that were there. That's awesome. Having a good old time. And what else? I, I missed some cool shit. They brought in, <laughs> they brought in apparently a, a duck that had a foie gras duck and they were going to birth the liver out wow. of it for all of us. But I did watch so many butchering seminars that were cool. Um, I watched an aging seminar that was fantastic. I missed the big finale, a family meal of all the food they've been working on oh. all day, only because I'm a fucking idiot and I got the time <laughs> wrong and yesterday was insane and every person I had a meeting with yesterday changed the time and place and then I just and melted it down and I missed it. So that sucks. I spoke to some cool people, which I'm going to be sharing with you later in the show. Um, but, you know, a couple of the things that I learned there that are just really interesting, you know, the prosciutto de Parma, you'll hear more about that. Um, but there are only 100, there are 167 producers for those pigs. Only 24 of them are available in the U.S. if you want it with the actual prosciutto yeah. de Parma crown sign. Correct. And that guy was talking all about that. I did not know that once that product was deboned, it doesn't age. Um, they use 28 days of salt compared to three months in Spain on Iberico mm. pigs, so a little less salt on yeah. the Italian products. Uh, used within 12 months of de if you're deboning it, refrigerate it, uh, just fun stuff. Um, the differences between a T-bone and a porterhouse, I learned, is the size of the filet during the butching seminar. I had ah. no idea. Porterhouse must have an inch and a quarter of filet. Tomahawk ribeye, man, you are paying for that bone. Yeah, you are. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> they can't use that bone now. If they give you a tomahawk bone, they can't use the bone to sell a, a plate short rib. So... Um, Basically, they have to take all that meat and yeah. use it for other shit other that's things. lower price. So they have to charge you a higher price, right, for that for rib. And the cowboy cut will eat exactly the same uh. with no long bone, and you'll save money on it, but you won't look as cool. <laughs> French poodle steak is taking the internet by storm. Um, yeah, so just all this kind of fun shit. Yeah. I had a blast. I saw some of the pictures. It looked amazing. We are going to, um, we're going to hear from some of the presenters in Great. the next section. I should also say that because I missed that fucking dinner, I was running home and I was 
was torn between going to the dispensary and just smoking myself <laughs> or going for food. But I did. I went to Proper Sandwich and um, I made it in five minutes before they closed. And shout out to them because they had a great fucking chicken sandwich that I ordered. A blackened chicken sandwich. So good. And I, it, it has crispy skin on it. Oh, it almost yes. felt like they had put chicarones or something yeah. on it, right? You got that crunch out of it, and they had an arugula topping it, and it was on marble rye, these chunks of chicken with the crispy. Wow. I wouldn't expect that bread to have held up, but it worked really, really good. Little too spicy for me, but a sauce that brought it down so that I didn't stop. I okay. didn't hesitate. I ate it straight through because it, it balanced out. Beautifully balanced sandwich. Maybe one of the more elegant dishes I've eaten in, in a while and it was at proper sandwich so That's bravo amazing. to them then rich and i just walking in the door from yeah the yeah i see the box of federal donuts and chicken <laughs> these guys open march 6th um it's in the food court at red rock it's actually yeah it's right next it's like around the corner of the wow. food court so it's kind of half in half out of yeah. the food court there at red they rock. don't want to be associated with the food court <laughs> no 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 they're, they're gonna talk about it and we are going to look hear at those oh my gosh but so i brought you some i left some of these at home for Sue. This one's got some fig in it, I oh believe. Oh, my God. This thing. one over here is their baklava one. That's chocolate and peanut butter shop. back there. Um, so you guys could dig in. In the meantime, I'm going to play Mike Solomon. No, Mike Solomone. I'm sorry. I'm getting his name wrong. This is Mike from Federal Donuts. <laughs> For those who have never been to Philly and aren't familiar with the name, give me the backstory. What is, I mean, because there's such a rich heritage for this company. Yeah, backstory was an accident. You know, we'd owned, like, Steve, my partner, and I had owned uh, two restaurants that were, like, big, not doing very well. We had, I think we are having coffee with two of our friends that were down the street that really owned a coffee shop, and they wanted to open a donut shop. I was, like, depressed post-recession, eating a ton of Korean fried chicken. <laughs> And I was like, why don't we just do chicken coffee donuts, you know? And that was kind of how it happened. Five original partners threw in whatever was left in our bank accounts, which was not much. And we opened a little donut shop on Federal uh, Street in Philly. And that was it. That was 12 years ago. Wow. And, so and it's we, taken off. <laughs> it's taken off. And, and, you know, never in a million years would we think that we'd be here at Red Rock in Vegas with our friends and with our partners. So, um, chicken sandwiches have been red hot for the past three or four years right yeah. now. Um, what makes your chicken sandwich different and what puts it above the crowd? So, I think that we fry. So, I think what makes our sandwich different and the way that we cook our chicken is actually twice frying. So, we do a low temperature fry after battering it and then we cool it. And then right before you get it, it's fried at a very hot temperature. So the exterior is super crispy. It doesn't retain a ton of oil. And the interior is really tender and, like, moist and, like, delicious and not overcooked. To the point that even I actually like these sandwiches cold, like, a day later, and they are still crispy in the fridge. And you do um, four different styles, right? So this is not, let's make it clear, this is not another addition to the hot chicken market, right? No, no, no. We, we're not, we, we don't, yeah. We're not a hot chicken company and we love hot chicken this is philadelphia chicken this is philly federal donuts and chicken chicken you know so what are, what are the four styles that you do uh right now we do our original uh which is buttermilk ranch powder american cheese pickles and uh rooster sauce we do uh barbecue we do a buffalo and then we also do uh southwestern right now they are going to be like rotating though and what's in that rooster sauce can't tell you man <laughs> no it's a it's a man is Hot sauce based uh, thing, very simple. 
What makes your donuts different from the crowd? So we just, you know, we take a lot of pride in our batter. We do cake donuts, and we actually use a little bit of baharat, which is a Turkish savory spice mostly. We put a little of that in there, too, and it makes it, um, I think, special. How many flavors of donuts do you do on a typical day? Oh, my God, too many, man. (laughs) Too many. I mean, we always have our three hot fresh, and then we'll usually have, like, rotating about, um, you know, I would say... 12 different donut varieties after that. What's the most exotic donut flavor I would find at, at a Federal Donuts? Right now, our baklava is pretty exotic. Wow. And we do shredded uh, katefi, which is kanafe dough. It's like, or it's made, it's katefi dough, which is used to make kanafe, which is baklava's little cousin. Um, and it sort of looks like uh, for angel hair pasta. Yes. And if you want great katefi um, shrimp, just down yeah. the hallway here, just oh, a yeah. couple doors down, man. I bet, I bet, I know. Yeah, Naxos Taverno, they do it over there. It's I fantastic, know. so try that. So when do you open? Where exactly are you going to be located for people be, who want this? We're going to be at Red Rock Casino. We are opening March 5th, and we are um, like on the casino floor around the corner, kind of from the food hall. But, yeah, you can't miss us. we got a big sign and the smell of fresh donuts and amazing chicken will make you wander in. All right? Come say hi. And I had one while we were there, and uh, it uh, spiked my uh, blood glucose to the oh point my that God. I may be collapsing right here on the table in the uh, next few minutes. Yeah. So it's been a good run. <laughs> I, I like how you said you had one, but I saw you finish one and go back and get a okay, second. Two. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I didn't have one this bite, but I did have some while we were at um So if you hear the thing yesterday. go <laughs> on my watch, that's, that's me about ready to... Call it a day. So, Gemini, yeah, we can dig into these, but uh, what do we got coming up next? You know, coming up in the news, Eats Natalie Young is unhappy about downtown construction and Flanker adds bottomless booze to its brunch. Oh, wow, that sounds good. But first, some reports from Creekstone Farms Cure Camp and the founder of Love Yourself Foundation talks about self-care and mental health care for those in the hospitality and entertainment industries. This is Food and Loathing. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. Oh, man, that baklava donut is so good. <laughs> but we got to get to the center of this show. As I mentioned earlier, Creekstone Farms conducted a cure camp for two days this week at Green Valley Ranch Casino with seminars on all things meat-related and a bit of pasta. <laughs> First up for this section, I spoke with Michael Sully Sullivan immediately after his butchering demo, which was aimed at discussing what cuts are becoming more popular and more expensive and ways to provide value by using less popular cuts that taste great but are currently selling at value prices for various reasons. We spoke about that and a few other things. Where are the bargains in the beef world right now where you're going to get a great cut if you can find it, but it may be a little less expensive because supply and demand has changed? You know, like sirloins. We're looking at the sirloin market. I mean, that's really one of the great ones that you can easily find. There's a lot of value out there. The problem is finding markets that's carrying them. Terrace Major is now back at value. I I mentioned earlier, Terrace Major, a few years ago, it became really popular. 
very expensive. Now it's came off. People have found other things. That price is coming back down. So um, hanger steaks is another one. Got really popular. Now it's kind of, now it's the flat iron. Flat iron now has replaced the, um, the hanger steak for popularity. Flat iron's going up. Hanger steaks coming down. So finding these things, especially for a consumer market, full value, full flavor, easy to cook. Right. Th- those are the items I'm looking for. I think people don't understand it as a consumer when you suddenly want to say, why am I suddenly seeing Zabatan everywhere yeah. when I wasn't seeing it before, something like that. But you know, if you could sort of speak to it, there seems to always be an equilibrium in the market, yes. right, where the chefs are looking for, okay, where can I get a flavorful bargain? And then it becomes super popular and everybody yes. else catches on. How's that work in the chef world? Well, I mean, we're always looking for something. I mean, you got two chefs. You got chefs trying to find value for their customer. Another chef is trying to find what is popular for their customer. The problem with the popularity, those prices are always going up. They're riding a train. And then you have other chefs going, I need to be creative. Being creative also is finding ways to market it. Give you a good example. We got a Chuck, Chuck flap. Great. Then we turn it into a Denver. Well, what the world is a Denver? It's kind of confusing. Right. You know, it doesn't look like Denver. Was it even made in Denver? We nobody even knows why we call it the Denver steak. Confusing for a chef to a server to explain to a customer. There's no story. Now that exact same steak is also called a zabaton. Zabaton. What does it mean? Pillow, cloud. Well, when you look at the steak, it looks like a little cloud of steak right. now i can go to a customer and go wouldn't you love to have a steak that's named after a cloud right. you instantly think of tender fluffy soft value yeah so so a lot of marketing a lot of marketing it's creativity in how we describe a product how we bring it across where a consumer can understand it Again, let's let's go back to that. If I come up to you, would you love a Denver steak? What is that? Yeah, I'm thinking omelet, right? And first thing you go, why do they call it a Denver? And you're like, I really have no idea. Yeah. But it's a delicious steak, and you're like, oh, okay. But if I go Zabaton, well, what does that mean? Oh, so it, it comes from the Chuck area. It's a beautiful, tender. It kind of looks like a pl- cloud. It looks like a pillow. You know, it's just a, oh, that sounds great. Now the consumer's more willing to take it. Um, one thing that I saw you make here that you said in a blind, t- or that you or your partner may have said, in a blind taste test, it, it, people don't recognize it from a filet, right? And that was the baseball cut of steak. Yes. Baseball cut of steak, I'm only familiar with in Las Vegas from the 777 steak special at Ellis Island, right? Yeah. So because we only see it in that bargain special, you know, I would never as a, as a consumer, as an uneducated consumer, never think that that's a high quality steak. But if I see that, I should be yes. thankful to see that, right? Exactly. Those are the cuts we're looking for. So let's look at some of the biggest steakhouses out right now from Longhorn Steakhouse to, you know, um, Outback. But everybody goes in there. Oh my God, this steak is delicious. There's they're running their business. And why? Because customers going there and they're getting a value, but they're getting a delicious steak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate for some reason. Since they have figured out this magic key, the high-end steakhouse says, well, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And they're missing out on one of the most flavorful, tender pieces of meat because they don't want this. Yeah. So I'm going, well, why won't you bring this on? And don't call it a baseball be 
Be creative. Yeah. You're a chef. Be creative because this is where your value is. Right. You know, but the thing is, we're not cheapening it to the customer. Mm-hmm. It is not a cheap steak. It is a absolute delicious, flavorful steak. Right. So we need to educate. And especially for a consumer going to a grocery store, that's the items I'm looking for because I know that's the value. And one, one last thing you just can kind of comment on for me that I really found interesting. You say that because barbecue restaurants are now using a different type of rib and there's a demand for a different type of rib, that this is messing up the meat and the steaks that are then going, getting sent out to yes. steakhouses. How's that work? Yeah, so anytime an industry goes outside of their norm, they pick up a new item. It's all about supply and demand. So barbecue restaurants, were they only did back ribs, meaty back ribs. Um, you know, all of a sudden this demand starts going up. Oh, dinosaur rib becomes popular. Now everybody wants it. Where you had a certain market for it, now that market just increased by 20%. And when you look at across America, 20% is barbecue restaurants. All of a sudden, overnight, there's a demand for another, say, 200,000 pounds a week that wasn't there before. Now, supply and demand, you only produce so many. So now where you're getting it to reduce supply, I mean, reduce demand, you raise prices. And, and you're saying so that's why kind of short ribs are have become more rare because that same meat yes. and those same bones are now being demanded by the yes. barbecue people. Yes. So, I mean, we're plate short ribs that's consisted of 25 percent bone mm-hmm. on a plate short rib um, cost more than a strip steak, a New York strip. <laughs> So you're going where and, and this, this used to this be is all free. because of barbecue. Mm-hmm. Right. It used to be a value cut mm-hmm. where, okay, we braise it, so forth. Plus, we, we have shrink loss because we braise and cook mm-hmm. is more expensive than a premium cut. Wow. Supply, demand. Also at Creekstone Farms Cure Camp, I spoke to Francesco Lupo, a brand ambassador for Consorcio Prosciutto di Parma who had explained to the audience all that goes into true prosciutto di Parma. What makes prosciutto di Parma special di and different? Parma is the demographic area where it was born, which is the area that is between uh, Reggio Emilia, Parma, Langhinano. Uh, it's in the, uh, the Tanara Valley. It's a specific area. And there is a lot of like microclimates that give it adds flavor to the product. The product has been made in the area for the last 2,000 years. When the Romans invaded the area of Emilia-Romagna, they realized the Celtic tribes were curing this boar with sea salt from Salsa Maggiore and sea salt that came from the Adriatic Sea, and they realized the uniqueness of the flavor. Uh, the empire was built on, on, on Prosciutto di Parma. The uniqueness is in the location where brother is born. Because uh, uh, compared to the Spanish hams, the Spanish hams have a lot of flavors in the leg. Uh, the animal gets fed three months, uh, the last three months, with the underbrush of uh, uh, the forest. So he adds a lot of flavor, like a very mushroomy. He has an intensity. So when you taste prosciutto from uh, Amon from Spain, you realize um, the flavor comes already from the meat. Because the curing is done a little more intense with salt, smaller legs, different breed. There's a lot of changes. Uh, uh, now, when it comes to prosciutto di parma versus what you find, that's the reason why we always ask. Uh, when you go to a retailer, it's always asked for prosciutto di parma by name. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, it's like when you, you know, if you say prosciutto, they can give you anything. Mm-hmm. If you say prosciutto di Parma, they need to give you the right product. So am I correct in saying prosciutto is a, a style of cured meat? Prosciutto di Parma is a style of cured meat that comes from a specific so, region with specific rules. Am I right you there? Got it. You got it right. Okay. Uh, prosciutto comes from process, which means to dry something from the, uh, the Latins. The Romans gave that. It means uh, the dry ham of Parma. The cousin would be the dry ham of San Daniele, which is a town that's about 400 miles in difference. And they look similar. They're done the same way, but they taste totally different. And that's because of the demographic and the area where they were from. Okay. So let's just break down yeah. a couple of the key characteristics. What kind of pig does it have to come from in order for it to be prosciutto de Parma? What section? And then how long must it be cured? Okay. The pigs has to be either white English, Landras. We're a mix of the two. Uh, the reason is because versus the Spanish jamones, uh, the, the Spanish the Spanish jamones are made with uh, black pigs from there, which is autochthonous. They are smaller pigs, um, so the feed is different. The the, ingre- the main ingredients in prosciutto di Parma are two: salt and pork. Uh, now, if you mess up one of the two, you're gonna get a bad product. Starts with high quality pork, uh, high quality sea salt. That's to be free of minerals, but the extra other flavor is uh, the air and the habitat to where it's dried and cured. How long must it be cured in order to be prosciutto de Parma? And then what's the minimum, maximum, and how's it sort of change over that time? Well, it has not changed that much. Uh, just changed last year because it used to be 12 months, the minimum for prosciutto de Parma. Prior to that, anything that was younger than that could not be considered prosciutto de Parma. Now is 14 months. Okay. 14 months is the minimum age that you can get in the U.S. to be called prosciutto di Parma. Uh, all prosciutto that are cured in, in the area don't become prosciutto di Parma until the quality prosciutto, which is a, a, an outside auditor source, comes in and certifies the product. Let's say a, uh, a prosciutto wants to uh, create, uh, wants a 200 legs of uh, 22 months prosciutto di Parma. They call the auditor, comes in, checks that the legs, uh, everything was followed by certain parameters from the consortium, because there's a consortium that was there since 1963 that certify and controls and guarantees the minimum production uh, uh, items that, in order to call the Prusciutto di Parma, like the geographical area, the, the pork, the salt, everything in this, it's controlled. Uh, once the auditor comes in, it goes through a 75 points uh, Checkup basically, and then at that point, he adds, he adds a firebrand, which is assembled from the consortium. At that point, only is prosciutto di Parma. Okay. Now, if it's 20 months, that's where it will be. It will be at 20 months. Uh, if it's a 14 months, that will be a 14 months. 36 months, that will be a 36 months. But it will be, it needs to be certified. Cannot right. just the producer cannot just take the, the take it out and label it and package it and just ship it out. Right. It needs to have a certification in order to do that. So for the consumer, what's the difference between a 14-month product, a 24-month product, and a 36-month product? Are there better places, ways to use one than the other? Do, does one have a, a more intense flavor? How does it, how's it play out? So 14 months, that would be the workhorse of uh, uh, the home cook or the chef because you, the flavor is, in a full, is defined but allows you to manipulate it for specific recipes. Uh, if you're adding filling for, to make tortellini or fill pasta, you can use a 14 months. If you are making, a, um, if you want to do a shakuri board, you can still use it. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to make uh, it's a work pizza, you can it, it adapts itself to a lot of use. So, at fourteen months, you've got a very versatile product. Fourteen to eighteen months, that okay. will be it. Then eighteen above, I will only use as a charcuterie board or salami board or whatever name you want to give this days. You know, <laughs> because reason, it's kind of too good to bury it under it's, other things. It's too good to be cooked with. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, it's the subtle flavors that come through and uh, the uniqueness of the flavor of that age. You really don't want to add anything else besides a great rustic bread, some uh, accoutrements that will add flavors, you know, that will go well. Uh, but I will not uh, use it in a, in a sauce. I will not, uh, I will not destroy it with heat. I will... I will not uh, combine it with... Uh, with put it uh, on pizza? Or... I, you know, I will put it on pizza toward the end. Okay. I will not cook with it. Because okay. then you end up with a leathery piece of meat. You know, right. it's, like just a, it's just texture at that point. It's not even flavor. And the other thing that you mentioned today, and I just want to touch on that, and then I'll let you go because I know we're missing some good presentations. We'll um, talk afterwards. But, cool. But um, you mentioned that there's an actual reason for those hand crank cutters that we see. Because when you go into a nice restaurant, you see that big red slicer with the flywheel or whatever. Everybody says the burkle because that's it. They only know two things about those burkles. And even uh, operators. Uh, they're expensive. They're about 15000 and above. And they look good. But they don't think that there's actually a, a, a reason for it. And the reason is that Electrical slicers sometimes, because of the friction, will damage the product because you know it's such a uh, the f- delicate flavors that if you apply too you know in the friction, they may lose some of it of the experience. The air, the flywheel, it's not called hand cranked; it's called a flywheel slicer. Uh, the RPMs are a little slower and actually allow for the product to be served as it was intended to. Very cool. So there is a reason why you have a beautiful red slicer there with a flywheel. None of that fake shit. Right. <laughs> and finally, we told you recently that our friend Gary Lamort of Honest Hospitality and Brian Howard of Sparrow and Wolf are working with a group called the Love Yourself Foundation on ways to address the stress and mental health issues prominent in the hospitality industry. This is an important topic, people. Oh, yeah. And it's a complicated one that doesn't always lend itself to short explanations. So I sat down with LYF's Monica Garcia to discuss what they're doing and yeah, just check it out. Um, I, I really want to share this conversation, and hopefully it inspires some people to do some things to help their employees or themselves. The Love Yourself Foundation is a nonprofit organization um, here to, it's the mission's in the name, spreading self-love and uh, the powerful ripple effect that it can have in building better relationships with people and ultimately to a more conscious relationship with the planet. How long have you been around and what inspired it? So I launched it back in 2018, uh, and what inspired it was kind of a few different moving parts. Uh, My background was first and foremost in environmental sustainability. So for a long time, I I spent time working in different campaigns and programs and uh, worked with the university as well. And so a lot of my efforts were more on how can I help people treat the planet better. Um, But back in 2016, 2017, I hit a wall myself and I found myself to always be taking care of others and giving and then I ended up being in a pretty dark space myself then I went through anxiety depression had a near-death experience in 2017 that really scrambled me up and really made me see the importance of mental health and how if a lot of folks are feeling this way about themselves more and more as mental health issues are on the rise 
I thought to myself, how can I expect people to treat the planet better if a lot of people are struggling with their own relationship with themselves? So through my own story, kind of seeing the different trends of mental health, it led me to the inspiration of creating it. So you were brought to my attention uh, because of your work in the uh, food and beverage industry, the hospitality industry as a whole, I should say. Um, And I know you've done some work with my friend Brian Howard, my friend Gary Lamort. How did you get involved with those chefs and with chefs in general? And is there something specific about hospitality that you feel makes your mission particularly important to people in that industry? Absolutely. I first got introduced to Gary through a friend of mine, Claudia, who ran the Desert Bloom Eco Farm. And that's how I got connected to Gary. And he was pretty much requesting, you know, ways to enrich his team, creating more wellness uh, with creating more of a wellness conversation with his team so that's how I first got introduced and we were then uh, we've worked now with Gary's team a few times and bring different meditation techniques talking about stress management other areas not only for people to improve themselves in the workplace but in their life in general and then through Gary we got connected over to Chef Brian um, and that's really how it all began. I think just the nature of Las Vegas as well. Uh, obviously, huge hospitality town with amazing restaurants. Uh, and as we've more and more worked with different hospitality teams, you know, it dawned on me that not only um, hospitality workers perhaps sometimes are just you know, they're there giving too, right? Caregiving, making sure that the either the client or the customer experience is top-notch. But a lot of times too, I think they, they could potentially run into similar symptoms like I did, right? And my past of saying, oh man, like I'm giving, 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 where is my, my me time? So that's really, I think, how we've been able to insert the mission and also help um, the hospitality world. So have you noticed anything in particular that is specific to these industries that are troubling to you when you see them? And are you able to offer fixes for that? Yeah. And at the beginning, too, of the organization, we've worked a lot with artists as well. And so through working with artists, entertainers, hospitality workers, I've seen these trends and also research, too. Right. Like a lot of times folks in these fields um, might have different schedules. Maybe they don't always have health insurance too, right? Um, a lot of times perhaps drugs and alcohol too can be the way to cope, right, with the stress. Um, so I think there's so much that can be changed with inserting these conversations of self-care, of finding healthier ways to cope with the stress and building healthier coping mechanisms. So through working with Gary's team, uh, Brian's team, also the artist that's really what gave me the inspiration to start our newest program which is called the I am love program um, that currently we're on the pursuit for funding um, but with funding we would like to offer telehealth support to folks in these demographics to bring this assistance um, and a lot of it too was inspired by what I saw as um, lack of support during COVID right a lot of t- a lot of People, gig workers, too, out of work, unable to get help. Um, I also had an entertainer friend who died by suicide back in 2021. So just seeing not only the personal experience that came in my life of, of a dear friend passing, but seeing what was happening during that time. So I feel like there's more that can be done to support these demographics that are doing so much uh, for others. 
um, and I don't want them to feel forgotten. So let's talk a little bit about the fundraiser that you have coming up. What? Just tell me about it, because I know you're in with um, the guys from Vesta, I believe. On the, no, not Vesta. Excuse me, Makers and Finder. I'm so sorry, guys. I know both of them. I didn't mean to get them confused, but I know you're working with Makers and Finders on an event which is intended to be both a fundraiser for the telehealth that you spoke about, but also a time to actually speak to people in these industries and maybe offer some tips to them. Yeah, so the event's on March 12th um, over at Makers and Finders Henderson. Uh, The doors will open at 6 and everything will start at 6.30. The event, we're going to have a sound bath meditation, a panel discussion, excuse me, featuring different industry leaders within arts and entertainment and hospitality. Um, We're also going to have free portraits given to, headshots for people and an opportunity for people to network also. Um, and some live painting too. Our events we always offer, we always like to have the art element, the music element, and we're going to have also a special performance too at the end of the night. You can't tell me who's going to be performing? Well, it's um, one of them is actually going to be on the panel, um, Cam Calloway. And then also that evening, we're actually going to be honoring the life of my friend that passed. Um, and we're going to be showcasing uh, a music video too uh, because actually the I Am Love program we are naming it inspired by one of his songs that was called I Am and so we're calling the I Am Love program in his memory So for somebody who may be listening to this, actually two different t- groups, of, groups of people that I'd like you to address who may be listening to this. First somebody works in either the entertainment industry or the hospitality industry and they're like, holy shit, yeah, it's it's worse than it looks on the bear, right? Like, it's just I can't deal with the stress. Then they can't maybe make it to your event. Where would you recommend they turn for help in managing the stress and mental health issues that they come across in just in their day-to-day life? Well, I, I actually just learned, you know, for people local to Vegas, um, I just learned of a free mental health clinic um, that UNLV offers. Um, and they actually don't turn anybody away. Um, so there's that resource. Then there's also the practice at UNLV. So those are some resources. Um, but other elements, they can always turn to our website, too. Uh, we do, we're always trying to put new tips out there, too, on our social media, on our blog. We also have a podcast done seasonally. So we have some free resources there, too, as a start for somebody that perhaps can't make it but to the event, but they're interested in learning more. And what's that website? It's uh, the lyfoundation.org. Okay, great. Now, let's say we're talking about a business owner, whether it's somebody that runs a musical venue, somebody who runs a restaurant, a bar, and they're seeing this because we see it. You know, you're not the, sadly, you're not the only person I know who's lost a friend and that has turned around and said, what can we do to prevent this from happening? And business owners, people like Brian Howard and John Anthony at Spaghetti on the Wall, people like Gary the Mort at, uh, at Honest Hospitality, they see this and they want to do something for their people and they have reached out to you. What would you recommend? Maybe not everybody. I mean, certainly I'm sure you're welcome people to reach out to you as well. But what else can people do within their workplace to just try to address this, at least on an entry level of addressing it? Absolutely. I think even just attempts in like changing the culture, right, of introducing perhaps like more like mindfulness check-ins, right? Like, Aside from checking in on like all the business activities, the different tasks to be done, doing some like what I like to see it too is like a human check in. Like, how is everybody feeling? You know, perhaps doing it every week or every other week, whatever is feasible to the uh, business, right? 
I think the more, too, that staff can feel seen and heard, that can really go a long way. Because a lot of times with people in general, a lot of times just need to be heard. And so if more safe spaces like that can be created. And if it can, that conversation can even be started at work, I think that can really go a long way. Now, I have not worked in the hospitality industry. I've been fortunate enough to report on it, and they've been very welcoming in helping me tell their stories. But that's not what I do for a living. I did. I have worked as a journalist, also as a lawyer, both very high stress, very high self-medicating um, professions. Um, a lot of people, you know, cope with their stress in, in pretty bad ways. Also very, and I don't want to use this word in a sexist way, but very macho industries very often, right? And that means I don't want help. Like I work hard, I play hard, I blow off my stress. Don't ask me how I'm feeling. If you want me to ask you how you're feeling, you're a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Screw you, man. I'm a tough, a tough guy. And again, I don't know, say that it crosses gender roles very frequently, that machismo. But that is a, a problem in certain industries. How do you deal with that? How do these business owners deal with that, with people who almost pride themselves on being so tough they don't need help? That's a great question, right? And I do think like that's a social, like a, a collective uh, issue that is is definitely being seen more and more and hopefully more of that conversation is changed um i just i guess i would just say i would encourage even those people that perhaps they have a harder time opening up finding a way you know whether it's just self-reflecting right or perhaps it's journaling or maybe it's giving voice notes to yourself just something to where you can have an outlet and if it's too much sharing with somebody else perhaps start sharing with your own self, right? And whatever way that might look like, it could also just be going on a run, right? And just really letting yourself uh, feel whatever you need to feel as you're running. Whatever it is, an activity, a physical activity or an expressive activity, again, whether it's writing or speaking out loud, maybe it's screaming, you know? Maybe it's finding like a empty room and just screaming, Right. Obviously, it's anything that can be done in a way that's safe for yourself and safe for others, right? But I've also seen people really enjoying um, going to these rooms where they can break things, right? So to express the anger. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of the cool thing that I think that we have now is that we're in the 21st century. There's a lot of options, especially right in, in bigger cities. But I think there's a way of getting creative work with what your safe zone is and maybe in time you start opening up more to another person maybe it's starting a conversation with if we're speaking specifically to men perhaps it's opening up that conversation within men little by little uh one more time hit me with the details on this fundraiser absolutely march 12th um everything well the doors will open at six everything starts at six thirty, and it's over at makers and finders henderson tickets are 50 dollars ahead where can you get them on our website at the lyfoundation.org. And then that ticket does include food and beverage provided by makers and finders. And then a portion of that ticket comes directly to us uh, to help us with our fundraising efforts. To that end, have we in the food media over the last 20 years or so, I, I, I start back with the emergence of Gordon Ramsay as a celebrity. Have we romanticized the nasty, bitter kitchen a little too much? Absolutely. I mean, well, Ramsey definitely brought it to the forefront, which is ironic because a lot of people think that he's like one of the nicest guys to work for. I've heard that seriously yeah. compared yeah, to true. other chefs. Um, but, but he made his name with that show on the BBC in the late 90s of him at his one star going for two star restaurant in London, just firing people willy nilly. And just it was a nasty 
time behind yeah. the door. Yeah. I mean, his producers basically realized that if they took the excerpts that they cut out of every other restaurant show, which was the guy being a dick, <laughs> and they just did only the dick scenes, that right. there's a market for that. Um, yeah. That's just, to me, that was really a reality TV yeah. creation. I, yeah. I think that the real things, if anything has changed, it's um, in kitchen culture. I think the um, the commercialization and all these these chefs who used to run tiny little places in Europe now they want to be in a casino in the United States and yeah. they've got a human resources department. Right. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but it's really. I, but I think the problems still run deeper. And as we discussed in that last conversation, there's a lot of machismo we, yeah. from both genders in the yep. um, industry of people who don't think they need to take care of themselves. They can work hard, play hard, and not suffer from that. And um, you know, it's it's rough. So um, I think that you know, I hope it's getting better. Yeah, I hope that. People go to that um, that event. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. It is time for the news. If you're on social media and you've been bouncing around among chefs recently, you know that Eats Natalie Young is frustrated with the DTLV construction going on near her Carson Avenue restaurant. She sat down with me at Good Pie in the Arts District. No construction over there. That was <laughs> oh, no. Talk about it. So on Carson and 7th Street, they're doing replacing the sewer. So it's been about 7th has been closed down for about four or five months. And now they're getting ready to close down Carson, which completely blocks off and corners eat in and a lot of other small businesses down there. So, yeah, where's the I mean, simply put, if somebody wants to go dine and eat, where's the closest place to park? Uh, You're looking at about two or three blocks away. Okay. Um, People are walking over and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but it shouldn't be an inconvenience for customers to come and spend their money at small businesses. It's already a struggle to have a small business. Um, I think the city needs to take in consideration that we are small business and to just plan on having alternative parking when we have to do this major construction. Yeah, and that was what interested me. I wanted to talk to you because you're not somebody I see complaining about things all the time. You really seem to be part of that downtown community. Um, and you know that, you know, the growth requires a certain amount of inconvenience. But I think that your objection now has to do with uh, a lot with lack of communication and lack of accommodation. Am I right there? You're correct. Zero communication, lack of accommodation. Um, it seems to me if they can come up with these huge you know, reconstructions of the sewer, they can figure out where to park small business, replace small business parking. Um, And I've been told, you know, it's been a problem in the arts district. It's been a problem for F1. It's been a problem on East Charleston. And now it's a problem for downtown. And I've been told, oh, everybody else suffered through it. You guys just need to suffer through it. And we need to do better. We need to do better for small business because people's livelihoods are at stake. Um, we still have to pay taxes and rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've got to think that a significant drop-off in business, especially for restaurants on such a slim margin, that it's sometimes not everybody's fortunate enough that they can suffer through it and reap the benefits on the back end. 100%. You know, every day, rest, small business restaurants are like, every day we need to have that wheel turning to have those, you know, those profits coming in so we can pay the bill for the next day and pay, pay the employees and taxes and rent. Rent and taxes don't stop when they want to, you know, block our business for five weeks. 
And I'm just going to throw this out there too. I did call around to a few other people who have restaurants and I I only managed to get one on the phone and this person, he or she didn't really want to step into this, you know, mess at all. And the idea was, uh, you know, it didn't really, it's not really going the way we would like it to, but we're going to see positivity on the back end and let's just try to work with the city and, you know, increase the positivity. So um, anybody at the city of Las Vegas that wants to come on and talk to us about that, That we are here. I'd love to have you on. Also, man, congrats to my friends over at um, Ferraro's. You know, we had told you in the past that there's this this company, this Italian media company, um, food media company called Gambero Rosso, and they're they're huge in Italy. Yeah. And they had already given um, Ferraro's their three cup awards for their Italian wine oh, list, yeah. which is really rare. And just looking at a post by uh, my friends at Ferraro's, it looks like they also got now their three forks award for their food. Wow. And this, only four restaurants in the world have achieved both of those so oh my like, gosh bravo to them Bra- man. yeah absolutely <laughs> we know ferraro's is great and so do they well you know another instagram post and another restaurant closure camino real in north las vegas which i believe just opened this past year is already closing its doors to use their post i'll tell you it's with a heavy heart that we say adios amigos we appreciate all the love and support from our customers and employees alike that we have received in the past 14 months go. Thank you once again. As of this report, Friday, March 1st, they will have closed the doors after one last happy hour. Yeah, yeah I, I have been there a couple of times. Um, I uh, It was it was uh, built up by the family of um, a server that I had met who was working downtown, and I really enjoyed it. We went a couple of times for breakfast and for dinner. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit sad to see that happen. Um, it's a and little North out of the Las way. And North Las Vegas needs restaurant. They yeah, need they good do. restaurants. Yeah, it's... and the service was great. The food was good. Um, it was a little bit out of the way, but it was worth it to us. So yeah, hopefully they can uh, find something else that uh, that they can uh, get into. Um, Boca Park restaurant Chinglish is changing its business hours from 4 to 10 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 6. No more lunch. Oh, oh. that is a drag. It's I, love t- I, love, I love going over there in the middle of the day. And being alone for lunch. <laughs> exactly. That may be a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was, it was busier than, no. than I'd seen a lot of places in this area, so I'm a little bit shocked. But uh, So I am a little bit bummed. It was a great place to go and work. I know Al's talked about working at the Sundry a lot. I would go over to you know Chinglish. Um, they do say they will be open for lunch for special events and catering gigs if you know you're so inclined. So definitely get a hold of them if that's your thing. Um, this Sunday, the Co-Ferment Natural Font, excuse me, Natural Wine Fair is this Sunday, March 3rd, from 1 to 5 p.m. at Ferguson's downtown on Fremont. $35 gets you four hours of wine and related vendors, etc. Tickets are available at fergusonsdowntown.com and PS. A lot of you are in the industry. There's an industry discount and an extra hour of wine if you message alt underscore imports on Instagram. Extra wine. Yeah. Get a discount code. (laughs) And I'm super excited to be part of the judging team again this year for Pro Start. That's the high school-based culinary program and competition where teens all over the country, in our case, the state of Nevada, try to win scholarships to culinary school. So I'll be doing that on Saturday. So I'll be able to tell you all about more of that next week. Okay. And a little bit of uh, more details on what I'm uh, doing. I'm leaving this podcast. Well, kind of leaving the podcast. I'm still going engineer it from afar. Uh, I'm heading east. We'll still call you to complain about things. (laughs) I I lived in Chicago in the uh, mid-90s, 94. 
95, 96, a little 97. Loved it. It didn't feel much like home at the time. We ended up going to New York and then back to the Northwest and then back to Washington and then here. Maybe you get a clue of why I'm now divorced. <laughs> <laughs> but Chicago is the home of uh, News Nation, a cable news outfit. I'll be uh, working on the website. Something new for me, an old radio dog. But uh, it, it's... One more last time in my life to dive into a presidential election year that's like no other. I was going to say, you're, yeah. I mean, you're going in big. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, you know, we'll still help in the editing and the preparing of uh, the, the Neon Fiesta update on the highway radio station. Yay. Anywhere from here to Barstow, you can hear them. I'll check yeah. in once in a while yeah, if I find something in Chicago that might interest you in Las Vegas. But this is a Vegas food podcast, yeah. so you don't know to hear about Mr. Beef every week. Not every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And I, I'll, be, I'll come visit you in June. I'm going to oh, be there yeah. for a week. I'll be uh, I'll be visiting back here. I'm keep, keeping the house. Uh, I figure when they finally wheel me out of there in a few years, <laughs> I will come back here to the land of sun, mountains, and video poker. Yay! So that is about it for this week, man. Thanks to all of our guests, Francesca Lupo, Sully Sullivan, um, Mike Salmanov, uh, Monica Garcia, Natalie Young. I'm sorry if I forgot anybody, but you were all awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with us this week. On behalf of Gemini Stevens and Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini, thanking you for listening and reminding you to always stay hungry. <laughs>